This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. That code again, CHGO, when you sign up with PointsBet. Hello, everybody. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, April 24th, just a mere moments after the Cubs drop Game 4 to the Pittsburgh Pirates. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, Brendan, this was n- terrible. not a pleasant weekend. Yeah. No. Absolutely terrible. You can't lose three or four to Pittsburgh, especially in the fashion they mm-hmm. lost. It's like, oh, it's so many preventable mistakes. And this is what makes teams bad. Bad. So you hoped that these mistakes would be limited going into the year, but we're, we're seeing them. So that's the theme of the series. Mistakes that were preventable. They lost close games, and this is where we are. We're two games under. Right. So the Cubs fall to seven and nine. They are actually now behind the Pittsburgh Pirates in the oh, NL Central. Lovely? So yeah, it's that. early, and we have a lot to talk about on an individual level. But generally, Brendan, like, here's the thing. And you and I have been talking about this. Um, I, I, you know, I've been texting Cody about this, and I'm sure he'll talk about it with Luke and Ryan tomorrow uh, with the off day. But, like, you can, you can lose a series at home to the Rays, You can split a series on the road with the Rockies. Like, all of that is fine, and it can balance out to where you can still be competitive and stuff. What you can't do, though, Brendan, and I know it's easier said than done, right? You can never go into a series and say it's it's must win or you have to sweep or anything because it's it's Major League Baseball, right? Even the worst teams have some talent. But it's going to be a tall order to be competitive, Brendan, when you drop three of four at home to the Pittsburgh Pirates and are now two and five against them on the year. We talk about it all the time. You got to rack up wins against the Pirates yeah. and Reds if you're, if you're you know, hoping to be competitive. And this is just, right. it's early, but this is not a good start against the Pirates. Well, it puts it in perspective too, because when you look at the schedule, you go to Atlanta next week for the Braves, then you wrap up that series, go to Milwaukee, and then the following week, you play the White Sox and then the Dodgers. So you're playing some of the best teams in the league. So these wins early on, I think for, from, from my point of view, you at least wanted to rack up early wins. Give the early roster a chance to prove itself before some moves are, are made that change around the roster. So losing these games, especially the way they're doing it, it's not inspiring confidence in... <laughs> in this current type of roster and it's it's disappointing now we could be having a different conversation in two weeks they've done this in in the past where they do surprise you and play well against some of these teams and the conversation does change and that's why baseball is so stupid and that's why it's so early on you can't freak out too much but it's just it's unsettling it's disappointing like because you know these games were winnable you see it right in front of your eyes right so the cubs drop three games in this series in which the Pirates only scored four runs. They lose. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I'll let me just run through these these games and then we'll dig into uh, all of the stuff. Now, I do want to just set the tone. Like there, there is some good in this series and there's some stuff we're going to talk about uh, on an individual level. But let's just, you know, remind what happened here and then we can go from there. So on Thursday, it was a four to three loss 
to the Pirates. Uh, Mark Leiter Jr. gets another start, four innings, three hits, two runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. And this was another one of those. This game felt like a game from years past, Brendan, because the Cubs went up three to nothing in this one. I think they had three runs on three hits in the bottom of the second inning, by the bottom of the second inning. And kind of like we've seen in years past, that was it, right? You kind of felt like, okay, we're starting this series. They're up three to nothing. This is, they're, they're going to coast. They're just going to do their contact thing and win this game easily. They had one hit the rest of the game, no runs. And that felt like something we had seen before. Um, the Pirates end up putting four on the board, two in the third, two in the fifth uh, against Ethan Roberts. And that would be all that she wrote uh, in this one. The Cubs got their runs in this one on a Frank Schwindel walk, a Jonathan VR sack fly, and a Seiya Suzuki ground out. On Friday, it was a 4-2 to two loss. This start time pushed to the evening because of the rain. Drew Smiley started this one five innings, six hits, four earned runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. So a decent start from Smiley, but not enough to... Uh, you know, you four runs in five innings, you kind of hope that the offense would have been able to scratch and claw their way in this one, but they were not. Uh, the Cubs did get an RBI double from Michael Hermosillo, so good to see him get that extra base hit and drive some runs in, but that would be all she wrote. Again, do want to highlight, though, in this one, Keegan Thompson, four innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. So he continues to be lights out. That is now 13.2 scoreless on the season for one Keegan Thompson. So he has been exceptional. We've talked about it a lot, both you and I and uh, Cody, Ryan, and Luke. So uh, certainly more to highlight from Keegan Thompson. On Saturday, uh, Brendan, like this was one of the best days at Wrigley Field I can remember. Yeah, can you just, re- just go through every single one of these runs for the next 30 minutes just to keep it a little bit right. lighter? Uh, Saturday was incredible. It was 75 degrees in Chicago beautiful picture perfect day at beautiful historic Wrigley Field the Cubs put up 21 runs 21 to nothing they win and only one home run and that was from Alfonso Rivas who we are definitely going to talk about uh after we we sort of wrap this up but the Cubs put up 23 hits in this game they have a few crooked number innings eight in the second inning five in the fifth inning and four in the eighth inning against Pirates pitching just an incredible day, and you pair that with seven innings, two hits, no runs, no walks, and two strikeouts, a vintage Kyle Hendricks performance where not a lot of strikeouts, but no walks, and a ton of weak, meekly hit contact from the Pirates to just rack up those outs. So really good to see from Kyle Hendricks, who picks up his first win of the year. Sean Newcomb makes his debut in this one with a scoreless inning, and Scott Efros had a nice weekend, a scoreless outing here on Saturday, and then he would be back out there for a scoreless inning on Sunday as well. Um, I, where to even begin with all the runs in this one? <laughs> I, I mean, Seiya Suzuki, three for four in this Everyone. game. Wilson, three for five in this game. Ian Happ, three for six in this game. Jonathan VR, two for five. Alfonso Rivas was three for six with five RBIs in this game. And someone else we'll talk about, Brendan, at the bottom of the order on Saturday, four for five with three RBIs for one Nico Horner. So yep. I'm sure you want to touch on that. Oh, yeah. Um, Sunday, four to three, another four to three loss, the second of the series. Um, Justin Steele, three innings, four hits, three earned, four walks, and two strikeouts. Again, we'll touch on him as well. 
Um, the Cubs getting their runs in this one. Ian Happ with his first home run of the season. So he's been putting up uh, pretty solid numbers overall, but hadn't seen the power yet. So good to see that come through. The Cubs had a chance in that ninth inning. Rafael Ortega getting on with a double off the wall, then getting to third on a Seiya Suzuki bloop double, but Wilson Contreras and Frank Schwindel both striking out to end that one, and the Pirates take the series 3-1. Uh, so, Brendan, a lot to break down, and it, it's a real shame. Like, I, I don't think you would have felt great about a split with the Pirates, but especially after the showing on Saturday, if you would have been able to secure the W on Sunday, I think you would have gone into this off day on Monday feeling okay about things. And kind of immediately after a historic day on Saturday, you kind of go right, right back into uh, the dumpster here on Sunday. It is. And the, the overall bulk numbers offensively, they're so good, which makes the slow start to the year from a record perspective even more disappointing. It just feels as if we should be better. We should have more wins. If you just go number by number for all these guys... You know, Seiya, of course, his numbers are off the charts. Rivas, in a short playing time, has been very productive. Ian Happ's having a great start to the year with a 380 weight on base average. Patrick Wisdom has a 366 Woba. Nico Horner, 359 VR, bad defense, but still 352. And even Jason Hayward, in his 33 plate appearances going into Sunday, had a 340 Woba, above average. So for the most part, their guys in their lineup have been hitting. And then you get the piggyback value from Keegan Thompson. You're seeing David Robertson look good. The starters, uh, for the most part, have been respectable, giving the team a chance. But you're losing these one-run games, and the fundamentals are just not there. The errors by VR, unacceptable. Yeah, it's not good. Unacceptable, Corey. Like, I don't know what's going on. Defensively, he's not rated this poorly. In years past, he's played shortstop for so many years, shifting over to third base, second base. He sh- he needs to be better than this. I-, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if the throwing errors are just a mental yip type thing. It kind of looks a little lazy from my perspective, the footwork and everything. Even you're hearing like JD on the broadcast talk about that. But the fundamentals have hurt this team. Defensively, not, not the best for some of these guys. And then the base running... As we saw in the ninth inning, got to score in the Seiya Suzuki double, yeah. that bloop double. It's, it, I don't it's a, know. It's a tough read, but when you, it's a, I mean, I under, I understand it, right? But those tough decisions, those tough reads, the good teams make those. Yeah. We saw the Cubs when they were at their best in 2015 through 2017. Yeah. They made those. Javi made those. So I understand it, and I understand those are difficult reads. And if I'm out there on the field, I'm not making any of those reads either. I'm not an idiot, but. When you are this close to winning those games, it's hard not to nitpick those small little details, and they're worth nitpicking when they cost you games, yeah. Corey. And I, I think the larger issue on some of that front, I, I think we talked with you know Ryan Herrera when he was with us on Wednesday about you know the Cubs, when you look at Fangraph's base running metric, they're rating negatively. Um, which, you know, feels uncharacteristic for this franchise, at least for most years. But it, it what it comes down to is, I, I think you're right, when, when you, it's tough to nitpick some of this stuff, because it was a tough read for Ortega on both of those plays, right? The ball off the wall that Mariznick yeah. kind of read well, he maybe could have ended up at third, but that's a tough play. And then I, mean, I understand that. Yeah, and but, then scoring yeah. on the, the Seiya blue double, like that's a tough read, score. but... 
the the issue is with the way this team is constructed, right? They have to nail these margins, right? They yeah. with the way this team is constructed, they have to be near the top at base running and fielding. They have to convert all those, you know, ground balls to outs. They can't be giving the team extra chances, right? Like you look at a team like we'll we'll just use um the Dodgers as an example, right? Like they usually clean this stuff up, right? So it's not the best comparison, but like they can get away with some of that stuff because at some point you're going to have bets and Freddie Freeman come up in an inning, and you can probably clean up some of those errors just by how good that offense is. The Cubs can't do that, yeah. right? You see it in this series where they're making contact. We we kind of in, have enjoyed a little bit the different look that this offense has provided, but they're other than Saturday, they're not going to be blowing the, you know, the the door off of the barn or whatever that saying is, right? I think I just made one up. But well, yeah. you have to get it. you have to kill these margins, right? You have to get every matchup right, you have to get every lineup right. You you can't be making errors, you can't be ma- missing opportunities on the bases. So it's it's tough to like criticize on some of these plays. But if this roster is going to succeed, they have to nail this stuff. And this weekend, they did not. They did not. So looking at the current, again, very small sample, early small sample defensive numbers, VR's outs above average is the worst in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Dead he, last. He can't play on the left side anymore. You, for sure. You can't. You, I don't know what I the deal is, but yeah. you, you, you can't have it. Like the whole... The whole point with this pitching staff is you have to be scooping up these ground balls and converting them right. to outs. He's weighed, right. he's made way too many errors. Uh, too too many. many. Like, he can play second base or he can DH, but you can't keep doing that. No, and I understand the intent for signing VR was not to be, like, the number two shortstop. You have Simmons, you have oh. Nico. The logic there was you can use VR mostly at third base, but... He is playing shortstop, and outside of Simmons, you don't have much depth there. So this is the limitations of having a roster right now that doesn't have that surefire depth in, in, in the middle infield. And so we saw it play out, and it's it's frustrating because those are preventable errors. They're not errors or plays that are being missed due to a lack of like underlying talent. Those are throwing errors. They're lazy-type errors. Yeah. And from... You know, our perspective, you know, you 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 have grown used to seeing those plays made, but they seem so preventable. And I don't know, you know, the the at the end of the day, the responsibility falls on the player himself. But you do question how this keeps happening. This has been happening since day one of the season, Corey. We're you know, we're a week away from May. So I don't know if he needs to go out there and just throw for hours upon hours, but you can't put this guy on shortstop or in the left side of the infield if he's going to be having these yips right now. And it must suck. From VR's perspective, that must be a terrible feeling. So I understand that, but can't happen. Yeah. Can't be playing the guy when he's going and, through and this. And I know, I know you wanted to give Nico a day off. He's had some injuries, so I understand that. Yeah, I, but, I get it. You, know, you, yeah. you saw yeah, the I don't effect wanna, of like, not having a, a yeah. you know, tight playing defensive player. I mean, I don't want to like rip on VR, even though I'm kind of doing that right now. Because I know like at the end of the day, you know, he doesn't want this to happen, right. right? And I'm sure he's trying his hardest, and he's frustrated and disappointed in himself. But uh, it's like 
oh, you know, it's, yeah, it's I mean, so like I said, difficult man, like to the watch. The team can't afford it. You know, this is not it, the 2016 Cubs, and the 2016 Cubs didn't make mistakes like this. They capitalized right. on every margin in like a historical right. way. But that lineup could have gotten away with some of this stuff because they would come up and mash, right? Like this group needs to be tight on those margins. You see it in all these scores, a 4-3 to three loss yeah. on Thursday, a 4-2 to two loss on Friday, 4-3 to three loss on Sunday. That's coming down to margins, guys. Base running, yep. com- you know, turning easy outs into outs, doing those little things, right? You, you think about it like in comparison to like uh, basketball or hockey, right? Like one of the things that's always talked about in those sports is you know, the team that wins those battles to loose balls or loose pucks, like those those 50-50 plays, right? They're so huge in both of those sports. Similar in baseball, right? You've got these little things. And usually, you know, the Pirates also, you know, they kick the ball around the field a lot. They certainly did on Saturday. Oh, yeah. But the Cubs also made some mistakes, and they didn't capitalize on some of those 50-50 type plays that this team needs to hit in order to be good. But— right. That's kind of the the general landscape of things. I you know, Brendan, this is a tough one, right? Because it's April and this team has shown some competitiveness, some life, and and I I don't want the tenor to be completely negative here, but it, no, and it shouldn't be. The, right? The, like the the, th- the thing is, when we record these, they lost fifteen minutes yeah. ago. <laughs> so. Well, I, and I think the bigger issue, Brendan, is like again, like even for those of us that had measured expectations for this team, like yet. I, again, it's not that easy, but you have to beat the Pirates at home. You just have to. It's it's very difficult to be competitive in this league and in this division when you've got this type of roster and you're dropping four-game sets to Pittsburgh at home. It's it's yeah. just going to be tough. It is. And then with the weather and everything and, and that affecting Stroman and kind of the weird timing and seeing Justin Steele maybe not perform his best today, it kind of all ties up. And kind of leaves this bad taste in your mouth, but there are positives yeah. that we can talk about. So we'll, we'll get into it before we we hit our first uh, sponsor break. Here we'll 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 yeah. finish this portion with a positive, and then we're going to get into some some more of the good stuff. Um, you know, Alfonso Rivas, Kyle Hendricks, some of those performances from this weekend. But before I turn it over to you, Brendan, I let, let me just yeah. read some of the interesting stats from Saturday's twenty-one to nothing. Uh, W and I think that'll you know at least make us feel a little better for for a second. So it is the largest margin of victory in a Cubs shutout of all time. It is the third largest shutout win in Major League Baseball since 1900. 1900. Um, so yeah, th- th- those are a couple of the stats that kind of like jump out to you as like okay. Um, that's pretty significant. And and the one thing I was thinking is the Bears' new head coach uh, saying the seventh inning stretch, and I was kind of wondering, like, I wonder how, like, long into the season it takes for the Bears to outscore this margin of victory, 21 to nothing, right? Um, but Saturday was a lot of fun, and, and like I said, it, it's a shame that it gets lost in the shuffle here because you you really would have liked to win this game and then you could have kind of looked back at those stats and you know maybe use it to get on a roll or at least just feel a little better. I mean the largest shutout victory in franchise history since the turn of two centuries ago, Brendan, is it, that's a, a fun game note, but it kind of gets washed away here on Sunday. 
It does. But the reason they're scoring those runs is due to an underlying common theme with this offense, and that is good plate discipline, heavy contact, moving runners around. You do get some depth with Rivas at first base and in the outfield from Iowa. So there's still good things to see. And here. on okay. on Saturday, Brendan, just because so much has been made of this team with runners in scoring position over years past, 15 for 25 with runners in scoring position on Saturday. I... Obviously, I can't recall seeing such a large number um, in a box score like that. Yeah. 15 for 25 with runners in scoring position. Incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay, quick break here from our sponsor, Points Bet. The best way to support CHGO is to download the Points Bet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you will receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. Remember, that's PointsBet is your home for live in-game betting. They even have a new exclusive feature, Live NBA Same Game Parlay. For the first time ever, build a perfect live same game parlay only with PointsBet. Combine your favorite bets anytime during the game. You can even boost your live same game parlays. And now online signup is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone. Signing up with the fastest sports book is now easier than ever so you can start living your bet life in seconds. Again, use code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with points bet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And don't forget to support all that we are doing at CHGO podcasts and live shows on every team every day, post-game shows, and premium written content for all members at allchgo.com. You get a free shirt and access to the members-only Discord, the CHGO Lounge when you become a member. I know they had uh, some pretty animated post-game shows with our guys Matt and Big Dave uh, after this Bulls weekend. It was disappointing, uh, but those guys are always entertaining and informative, and we had Ryan Herrera on with us last week, and Jared Willis was at Wrigley Field covering the team this weekend, so make sure you sign up at allchgo.com to check out all the wonderful work that is going on for all the teams in Chicago. All right, Brendan, let's get into some yeah. of the good stuff. Okay. Um, we, we, we've spent enough time kind of lamenting dropping three or four to the Pirates because it's not great. But uh, talk to me. Th- this was a really good start for Kyle Hendricks. And yes. I know it's the Pirates, but this is the type of outing where when you're, you've got so many injuries that you're dealing with on the pitching staff, you've got young guys getting in there on your pitching staff. You really needed this start from Kyle Hendricks. Now, he did not need uh, more than one of the 21 runs that the Cubs offense provided him in support, Uh, but this is the type of, you know, top of the rotation, ace-type performance that you really needed to get a W, sort of calm things down a little bit, and he throws seven shutout innings on just 76 pitches. He could have stayed out there, but when you're up by 20 runs, literally, I think it's kind of like, all right, we can can call it a day here, Kyle. But what did you like from Kyle here today? Um, Especially, you know, no walks and and just a couple strikeouts, but he had the, the Pirates hitters off balance all day. Yeah, I thought Kyle looked good. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. The, the ability, if he were to have stayed out there, 
he could have thrown a complete game shutout with under 100 pitches. So he was locating well. I, I will say from starts previously, I don't think his stuff was that great, relatively speaking. But that's why Kyle is so good, because even if the changeup is not playing up that day, which I don't think it did, his fastball command was so good. If you look at his own profile, he was darting that inside portion of the plate to right-handed batters so frequently and so precisely. So his four-seamer and his sinker were thrown right in on the wrist of those Pirates batters, and that's why he got that weak contact. But the changeup, as I just said, didn't really play up, I thought, and he only got three whiffs on the changeup in 25, um, in 19 pitches. So that's that's one, I guess, downer from Kyle, but I don't really even think that's a downer because the fastball played up so well, and the reason that a changeup may not have gotten those whiffs is just because he was peppering the inside portion of the plate with those fastballs and getting that weak contact. So if you look at his entire breakdown, he threw the four-seamer as his dominant pitch against Pittsburgh. And as we know, Kyle typically leads with his sinker. So this was a little bit of a change-up from his, from his norm, although he has done this in the past. But he threw the four-seamer 41% of the time. 31 total pitches. That's a lot of four-seamers. Then he used a sinker 33% of the time, or 25 of his 76 pitches. Then he threw the change-up. 19 times and only showcased one curveball. So he has, over the past couple of years, increased that curveball percentage to a rate between 10 to 15%. He only threw it one time against Pittsburgh. So I think the intent clearly from Kyle was, okay, I'm going to jam these hitters every single time until they show that they can put quality contact on that pitch. And that resulted in fewer whiffs. It also resulted in fewer walks. It resulted in short innings, which was great to see. So I, this is one of the better Kyle Hendricks starts to the year. Uh, and you can look at the changeup whiffs or lack thereof as like, oh, I kind of wish we had more whiffs. But it's hard to tell why there weren't many whiffs from that changeup. Overall, that's what you want to see from Kyle going forward. Limit the hard contact. If he does that, you get through the order multiple times very quickly, and you give your bullpen a chance um, to, to relax. And if they do have to come in, then you give your high leverage relievers a chance to close it up. Yeah, th- this was, uh, like I said, just a much needed start from Kyle. So good to see uh, a good outing here, and the team needed it. So I, I want to transition to an interesting conversation that you can kind of tell is brewing amongst Cubs fans. So I, I want you to talk about Justin Steele a little bit today. And I want to tie it into Keegan Thompson because it's, you know, a few of the starts from Steele, we've kind of seen the same thing where as the game goes on, his velo and his command kind of abandons him. And it's happened pretty early. And it happened again early on Sunday. Um, And so you are starting to see when when I'm reading uh, the mentions on the CHGO Cubs account on Twitter at at CHGO underscore Cubs, a lot of people are wondering when Thompson gets a shot in the rotation because of how good he's been. So again, I, I read earlier that he went uh, four shutout innings following Drew Smiley on Friday. That brings his season line, Brendan, to 13 and two-thirds innings pitched, just six hits, no earned runs, 14 strikeouts, and three walks. He's been exceptional, Keegan Thompson. So I, this is a, a larger conversation, and, and we can space it out, but 
how do you feel about the role that the two of those are occupying? Do you want to see Keegan yeah. Thompson get a shot to start? Do you like him in this role? Do you think that Justin Steele can kind of iron some of this stuff out? We're getting a lot of questions about this, so I, I wanted to sort of throw it to you as to how you're feeling about each of those guys and the roles that they're in right now. I think they're both similar. So if Keegan gets the, the shot, he has the same type of pitch mix as Steele does, where you th- rely heavily on a four-seam fastball, and then you use some type of breaking pitch, whether it be a slider whether it be maybe for Keegan's case, a cutter, or for both their cases, a curveball. So they have the same type of split breakdown. And we saw Keegan, when he did start last year, the ability to go through the order multiple times when you start games was problematic. And currently with Steele, the same thing's kind of happening. I, I will say if I had to pick between the two, just because Keegan looks so good, out of the bullpen. I'm curious to see how that plays out over a larger sample. It's what the Rays do really well. They're able to have these multiple inning relievers who could start and they have success and win games as a result of that type of depth. So I like Keegan in his current role. Although, yeah, like I would be interested in seeing him start nationally. I'm curious about that. But I think the way it looks now from just a probability standpoint of of which starters more likely to be successful, I do give the slight edge to Steele. And the reason for that is because he just has more pitches than, than Keegan. And he has more pitch types that go the other way. So unlike Keegan, Steele does have that sinker that he has showed pretty often in starts from last year. He hasn't shown it that much this year, but he has that in his repertoire. So he has a sinker, he has a four-seamer, he's got a slider, he's got a curveball, and he does every now and then, although I wish it was more, showcase that changeup. So he has the ability to throw five pitches, but he's been relying exhaustively on throwing essentially a four-seamer, a slider, and then curveball, which he threw more today. So it is a tough decision, and I understand the velo problem that we're seeing. He starts the game off today, 93, 94. He finishes around with 91, 92. I, I, I get that. I just think it's still early in the process where you can hope that that velo starts to normalize as he goes through multiple innings. And we don't know if Keegan's going to do the exact same thing where he starts the game hot on the gun and then the velo starts to go down as he hits like the fifth inning, for example. It's a tough decision. I think you keep it where it's at right now just because to emphasize the the number of pitches Steele has is greater than Keegan. And Keegan's role right now as that multiple any reliever appears so valuable, not only in the immediate season, but potentially long term as well. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting spot, especially because, you know, you want to give Steele a, a certainly more leash here, right? Like Obviously, we've seen the command uh, abandon him. Uh, Oftentimes in these games, you'll notice that as it starts to abandon him, everything is up, right, and kind of way out of the zone. Um, yeah. Kind of not like and finishing. And which we've seen at points in past stars, he just got away with it. So yeah. this has been a little bit of a problem for Justin. Yeah, but, you know, for both of them, really, like, you know, you have to remember that both of them spent time last year starting and then relieving and then kind of being stretched yeah. out again. 
And just like every other pitcher, you have this weird lockout, kind of shortened spring training, getting into shape, all that other stuff. So you do want to like make sure that you give it leash there. Obviously, if it continues that Steele is, you know, kind of running out of gas too early in these games, then, you know, the role kind of is going to explain itself, right? Like that's sort of easy if it it doesn't kind of uh, strengthen up or or normalize a little bit. But I, I think, you know, the theme for both of them to me is exactly what we came into this season with a lot of guys thinking it's let's see what you got right so I think at this point now it you know it's it's not that large of a sample going back to last year but I think you have a a pretty reasonable idea that Keegan Thompson's stuff certainly plays out of the bullpen right it does he has the the mental fortitude the ability to go out there and be successful against major league hitters for at, at minimum a few innings at a time, right? He's he's showing you this, right? I think it's it's fine if you want to see if he can extend that, if he can, you know, again, he went four innings on Friday. Like, it's certainly worth seeing if you can stretch that out to five or six, right? Um, well, how, how confident are you he can do that for five I, and six? I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't yeah. know. You know, when he, Well, that speaks to a lack of confidence. When he made right? the move last year, it wasn't as successful. It was, it you was know, sort of... Uh, in the shorter sample last year, pretty clear, like, this is better out of the bullpen, right? But he's been so dominant, and as I've said before, I think he'd prefer to be a starter. So I don't have a problem giving him those opportunities and seeing what you have, because it is worth figuring out, okay, we have one potential starter between the two of them. Great. We have no potential starters, but we've got two lethal bullpen arms. Great. Right? Like, it's or we have two potential starters, right? If if Steele can kind of iron some of this stuff out, and Thompson does play well when you give him an opportunity to start, um, I think you know again, like I am a little wary because the, 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 when I read a lot of those responses to us on Twitter, my first instinct is he has been so good. You could argue, and I I'm, maybe there even wouldn't be an argument that Keegan Thompson has been the most valuable pitcher on this team to start this season right? So I'm a little wary to change that role because I know that some people's first instinct is, well, he's got to start, right? He's doing so well. I I understand that, and I'm okay giving that an opportunity, but I think people are a little, they're underestimating how valuable his role right now is. And if you move him to the starter, you need somebody else to do this, right? This kind of long relief, bridge type guy and that's not that easy to find right so I'm okay giving him a shot but I do want people to realize like the role he's occupying is really really valuable and it's it's not a knock on him to not necessarily be in the rotation this is a really valuable role and it's okay if that can't get transformed into being a starter you know what I mean yeah I I I know exactly what you mean and I don't think the way, just to back up, the, the way that the sport is trending, the value for someone like Keegan Thompson, there is a possibility that that goes up because we've, we've seen what that looks like. And with Steele, can he replicate exactly what Keegan's doing out of the bullpen? That's not a certainty either. So if you, as you said, Corey, if you do move Steele to the bullpen right now and you opt for Keegan out of the rotation, well, what if... Uh, some of these pitchers only go four innings and you want to bridge that gap to the late innings, 
but you don't have you don't have Thompson anymore to do that. Then that affects the decisions you make not only in that game, but if the bullpen can't get to that eighth inning, it affects the next game as well. Right. And we've seen because Keegan's able to go three, four innings, that bullpen gets rested up. And we've seen, for example, Michael Givens so often. And we're able to see Rowan Wick, as we saw today, come into a higher leverage moment earlier in the game because the bullpen's more rested. So I, there's multiple facets to this discussion. But I think where I fall right now is it's just too early. I, I genuinely sure. think that. And I, I, I believe with Steele... The best feature of his game is that curveball. I'm sorry, is that slider that moves well more than league average. And he's working on now that curveball and working on some of that command issues. But from the first, the very first start of the year, the fastball command was really good. It's just a slider. I keep saying this, but the slider was not that great. His second start, it was the opposite. The slider performed really well, but the fastball command escaped him. And now over the last couple of starts, we're seeing the complete bulk command escape him. But we have seen, just within the last few weeks, Steele's ability to command both pitch types. And the the hope is, is that as the next few starts roll along here, he can dial that in, and you can keep the roles the same. And you can keep Keegan in that bullpen. And then you can evaluate this come mid-May, late May, and you may want to make a change, but right now I just think it's too early to make that decision. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Alec Mills is working his way back. He can, mm-hmm. you know, is also a guy we've seen occupy both of those roles back of the rotation and also that kind of long man out of the bullpen. And then when Wade Miley gets back, you know, he may take a second to work up to full steam, but he's going to be getting starts at some point. That's right. a, a guarantee. So you may see some of this shake out just sort of out of a sheer roster situation. But I I, I want to ask you, you know, specifically on Steele with some of the, you know, kind of uh, falling off we've seen in these kind of early innings. Is that, do you think that's just kind of a, a product of the weird kind of ramp up to this season? Is it a mechanical thing? Like, what do you make of the velo and command kind of abandoning him so early in some of these games? I mean, on, on, uh, Sunday, he throws 79 pitches across these three innings. Uh, so it's not exactly like he, you know, it happened after 20 pitches, but it's still just early where you can kind of, you know, if you're watching at home and you're playing like armchair manager, you're thinking this guy kind of looks cooked, right? Like, and it's a little early for that. So what do you, what do you make of that? Or what does he need to do to execute this over longer periods of the game? Yeah. If you look at the release point data, it's not that variable. So I don't think it's just a pure release point problem, although we don't have the data from today's game. So today could be that one game where the release point was a little hit or miss. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case, given the command was his worst of the year um, today. I don't know. I don't know why the command escapes him, to be honest. He does have a throwing motion that induces natural cutting action and all of his pitches that's why his slider is so good that's why it moves so well horizontally because his natural arm motion is kind of like crossfire um so that just might be who Steele is man like of course you want to see these guys be top tier top of the rotation starters but from someone with his background and his pitch types you can still be really valuable 
as like a mid to back end of the rotation guy. And not saying that's what Steele is going to end up being, but you you see why top of the rotation starters like Kyle, like Stroman, they're so good because they can consistently command and their mechanics are so repeatable and they tunnel so well. But for Steele, he doesn't have that. Like he's never been able to showcase that in his development. And maybe he does develop that and you can still be successful if you don't do that. But this just might be what steel is and you can own in and you can and you can refine some of the type of mechanical issues that he might have but i do think if you're expecting like probabilistically confidently steel to like dial in that command every single start i don't think that's going to be going to be the case again it's not to knock him because you can still be valuable but this is why this the pitchers i just named are so good Corey. Yeah, and and again, I, whatever you can figure out about these guys, you just want this year to be productive in that manner, right? And it may take some maneuvering around. You may see guys play different roles, but as long as you're figuring something out and you end up at the end of the year feeling like, okay, we've we've figured out what roles these guys can occupy, and now we can go into whatever offseason and build this pitching staff out knowing here's what Keegan Thompson can do. Here's what Justin Steele can do. If he can come back over the summer, here's what Albert Alzali can do, right? right. Like, you, you need to figure that stuff out. So I, I do get the... Um, you know, kind of urgency from some folks about like, we want to see more Keegan Thompson, we want him to get starts, etc. And I'm I'm cool with it. But he's been really good. And it's a valuable role. I just don't want that to get lost yeah. in, in all of the shuffle. So uh, yeah, but as far as Steele is concerned, like it is still early, obviously, he's going to need to start putting some results together. And when those other guys come back, the pressure is going to be kind of on him to do it quickly, I think. But it's it's only a few starts here to start the season. And you came in, it's it's similar to what we said about Frank and, and Patrick, right? Brendan, like you came into the year wanting to give a lot of these guys an opportunity to show you what they had. And it's, it can be frustrating, especially when you're, you're losing to the Pirates, uh, but it's, it's too early. You haven't figured that out with early. a lot of these guys yeah. yet. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the the last point I have on Steele is when we when we talk about like all the stat cast numbers and the horizontal break and release point and everything, it it is good. Like his numbers, his his slider is really good from a stat cast perspective. But a lot of pitchers in the league also have good stat cast numbers. It's just a matter of when we talk about this, we can highlight the good in these guys, and we t- we tend to do that, which is what I think we should do, because you can see why these guys can be successful. But now when they're not successful, you can also see what needs to be improved. And from Steele's perspective, it just is command. And some of the StatCast numbers, you may not see that, but when you look at some of the video and you talk to coaches and you try to interpret some of the data that goes with like the, the high-resolution, slow-speed cameras, the one knock on Steele is he has natural cutting action on his, on his throwing motion. So can you improve that? Maybe, but this is who he is, and he can still be successful. But it is worth pointing out that's just kind of who he is right now. And another break from our sponsor, Points Bets. If you enjoy CHGO, one way to help us continue to grow is to download the Points Bet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk free bets up to $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. 
If you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. And in case you missed it, online signup is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish, all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the fastest sports book that's easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, so let's get into some of the positional player stuff. Uh, a lot going on there. A lot. And I, I think where I would like to start with you, Brendan, is, is a Nico? pretty simple statement. Uh, okay. And that statement is we need to see more of Alfonso Rivas. Oh, Rivas. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, would you think I was going to go Nico? I was. We'll talk I was Nico like ready. in a second. But I want right, to start great. with Alfonso Rivas first because— the, it's similar along those same lines. You want to see what you have in guys. Alfonso Rivas is 25 years old. He'll be 26 yeah. in September. And he's just one of those guys who really all he's done throughout his career is hit, right? He's a good glove over at first base, certainly better than Frank. Um, not to knock Frank, but Alfonso would be the best defensive first baseman on the team. And so he... he breaks camp with the team and then he gets sent down as kind of part of this roster crunch he goes down to triple a and in um three games at triple a iowa he has seven hits in 13 at bats right uh then he comes up on saturday hits the lone home run in the 21 to nothing onslaught on saturday uh and then he pinch hits in the game excuse me, on Sunday uh, and gets a double in that one. So, Brendan, like this is just one of those things. It's simple. We got to see more of him, right? However you have to get him in the lineup, if you play him at first, if you have to utilize the DH, I think he can play the corner outfields as well. I think you've talked to Greg Huss of the Growing Cubs podcast just to uh, see if that was a thing. And it, it really just comes down to like, I know that you know, we've talked a lot about guys like Hermosillo, Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier has appendicitis. That's what brought Rivas back that so sucks. quickly. I know those guys haven't exactly, um, you know, hit the cover off the ball to the point where you're like clamoring to see them in there more, but they've also been getting inconsistent playing time. And the point remains with all of them. These are younger guys who are cost-controlled, and they've got potential, and you want to see what you have there. But Rivas in particular, just looking at the way he's hit in the minors throughout his career and the way he's hit when he's gotten opportunities in the majors, given his age, Brendan, and that he's going to add defensive value when you put him out there, we got to keep seeing him. I think we do. And his type of plate approach fits really nicely with the entire lineup. So just in his career, he swings at pitches outside the zone at a 20% rate. The league average is kind of around 30% year to year. So that is well better than league average. And he makes a lot of contact too. Just in the early going here, it's only been a you know a handful of plate appearances, but he's made contact a 9 out of 10 swings. That is a really, really high contact rate. With Alfonso, we saw the home run on Saturday. And the power, at least since he's been in the Cubs system, in AAA in 2021, he only had four homers in 237 plate appearances. So it's it's hard to reconcile when you see such a big person like Alfonso 
and that swing and that swing trajectory, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this guy can hit for more power. But regardless, even if he doesn't, that type of approach, the ability to walk and to hit for a high average, that is, that is really valuable. And what Frank and Patrick don't have that Alfonso does have is the age components. Whereas we know Frank and Patrick, they're well late on their age curves, 30-ish years old. As you said, Corey Alfonso's 25 years old. If you're going to see or if you want to see what Patrick has or Frank has in a larger plate approach sample because of those underlying numbers, I do think you have to consider the exact same for Frank for Alfonso and then even more because of that age. I don't know how to get him in the lineup more because you do want to see Frank at first base. Maybe you do put Alfonso to left field. We saw him go to left field in Sunday's game for a few innings. They put Happ in center field late in the game. Maybe that's the way to do it defensively with Happ in center field. It's not the optimal solution out there, but somehow I need to see more Alfonso Rivas. And I don't want to keep making this a consistent type of discussion point every episode, but we got to see less of Jason Hayward to start games. Now, to David Ross's, I guess, credit, if you want to call it that, although he's starting them, he does appear to take Jason out mid-game for better matchups. And as a result, the number of plate appearances for Jason are much less compared to other guys. But you know, I want to see these guys start. I want to see these guys get more plate, uh, plate appearances than what they're getting at this point. I don't want to see Alfonso and AAA, dude. Yeah. Like, I want to see the guy on a daily basis, okay? I don't know, again, I don't know how to do that. I know it's not the easiest thing. I know it's not realistic because you want to see Frank and Patrick and Half's been doing well, but uh, we got to figure this out. Yeah, it's, it's a tall order for David Ross, and there may not be an easy solution. And, you know, the, the early returns are... You know, Hayward's got like a 720 OPS after Sunday's game, so it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's it's no. always just going to go back to what we've talked about since the beginning of this offseason and, and once spring training started. And this is also true of Rafael Ortega as well, who's who's struggling. He's got a 577 OPS for comparison. Like, those guys are older, and you've got guys in their mid-20s who you should really be spending the time to see what they have right? And see if they can offer you solutions at various positions for years to come. And, you know, what I was getting at with Hayward's OPS numbers is the the peripherals are really bad, right? The profile looks the same as it has for years. Pop-ups to the right side, weak grounders to the right side. He's gotten a couple of favorable score calls. I'm only bringing that up because, like, I know you can look at the numbers and be like, well, it's not that bad, right? He's got better numbers than some other guys. He does, right? So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that's not true. But again, I'm throwing Ortega in the mix as well, where it's like, look, like these guys are not going to be on the next great Cubs team more than likely. And you've got these rather interesting players who, again, are not necessarily performing as you want them to. Hermosillo certainly falls in that category. But I I think the time is just better spent seeing what those guys have. I want to know that those guys are or are not potential contributors as we go forward here for potentially years to come. Um, Rivas in particular, like I said, I mean, he is 25 years old. Like, if you figure out that you've got something there, even if it's a a role player at first or in the corner outfield, that's a big deal, 
right? As you yeah. go into another offseason, you just check these boxes, right? And some of these guys just are not going to be on that team or be significant contributors on this team. So we don't have to, it's April, just like everything else. Like, I certainly am not expecting David Ross to say, okay, Hayward, Ortega, you're not getting it done. We're You're not playing anymore, right? It's April. I don't expect that. But I, as this roster crunch, you know, when Frazier comes back, when p- some of these pitchers get healthy, they're going to have to make decisions. And I think you're on the right point, Brendan. We're like, I don't want to see Alfonso Rivas get sent down. I don't want to see Mike Hermosillo get sent down and kind of given up on because they, they haven't really gotten that shot yet. So until they get that that real shot where we know they either can bring it at the MLB level or they cannot, I want to see those guys get prioritized um, over some yeah. of these others. And, you know, that's not the reason they're losing a series to no. the Pirates, but we're thinking long term in these things, right? Well, right. And there's a lot of, ch- I mean, I'm going through Twitter right now. There's a lot of chatter about kind of some angst on Ross's decisions as it comes to playing time and Hayward. And I, I get that. The, you know, the fact is Jason's on this roster. So he's on the roster. And that's that's Jed and that's Carter's responsibility. And I would be shocked if Ross is intentionally playing Hayward this much against the motives of Jed and Carter. So this this appears to be a top-down decision, okay? If they didn't want to see Jason Hayward play this much, he'd be off the team. He'd be DFA'd, but he's on the team. He's playing this much. He is taking at-bats away from these guys. That's just the nature of it. Uh, that's why I do say, to David Ross's credit, at least he's minimizing that as you make those substitutions mid-game. But putting myself in the shoes of Rivas, of Hermosillo, of Clint Frazier. I, you know, I didn't play uh, past high school baseball, but like, I, I would feel more comfortable knowing that I'm going to start a baseball game to get into that groove yeah. rather than coming off the bench a little bit cold and going into a hot mid-game when the rest of the team is already warmed up and ready to go mentally and physically. So I can see that being a disadvantage to their development as well. And some guys maybe do well when they come in mid-game. Some guys maybe don't do well when they come in mid-game. So it's hit yeah. or miss. But I guess where I'm at right now is with Ross and the decisions, with Hayward and some of the other guys in the bullpen or whatever, these are tough margin calls, man. Yeah. And you can kind of flip a coin and you can argue both sides to the discussion, but at least when it comes to Hayward, he's on the roster. That's not Ross's ultimate decision. Well, and that you is- know, again, like you, you make a good point that it's obviously tough for someone like Hermosillo or even Clint Frazier when they're getting, you know, kind of sparing starts or being asked to pinch hit or come into the middle. But, you know, in 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 the defense of it, it's like, I, you know, I think the, the double that he had on Friday night was Hermosillo's first extra base hit of the season, right? Yeah. So again, it's a tough task for him to be trying to settle in at the major league level with inconsistent playing time. But at the same time, you know, y- you do have to kind of capitalize on the opportunities to catch the eye of the manager, right? Like, it's it's a it's a tough spot, right? Like, but how fair is that? Like, I, I get this is major league baseball, and you 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 have to make the most of your opportunities. But some opportunities are naturally more challenging than others. Absolutely, so you, and you know, it, like, trust me, like you 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 listen to me, and like on when sometimes. I was been I when I've been on with Luke, Cody, and Ryan on on the CHGO Cubs 
uh, daily podcast, like, I, you know, it kind of quickly became like a shtick of mine that I was the, you know, get Hayward out of the lineup guy, right? And I still feel <laughs> that way. But I'm I'm just saying that, you know, he's, he, we've talked about the veteran presence that he has. And obviously, the team values that whether I do the same way or not. And I'm just saying when, you know, even if it's unfair to him, right? Like if, if Hermosillo is not getting it done in the, in the, you know, difficult role that he's being asked to play, I, I, I'm just trying to think of it from the perspective of David Ross, where it's like, you know, I guess I understand why he's not being maybe more aggressive with some of these younger guys and just saying, okay, like you guys are older, you're out, right? Like it's not how I would be doing it, but it's similar to when we want the Cubs to spend $500 million a year in the off season. It's like, sometimes we have to analyze things based on reality and what Mm -hmm. they're going to do, not what you and I want them to do. If it was up to you and I, Frazier, Hermosillo, and Rivas at this point would be playing every day, and we'd be getting as quality of a look to understand who they are as humanly possible. But we have to consider what the team is thinking, whether we agree with it or not. So let's talk about Nico Horner uh, before we preview this uh, upcoming series here after the off day on Monday. I I really just want to talk about him because it's been an excellent start to this season for Nico Horner. So he gets the off day on Sunday, uh, you know, which, you know, much to the chagrin of Brendan and uh, pretty much, I guess, everybody else on Cubs Twitter. Um, But he's, he started the year uh, with a 133 WRC plus well above league average, which is 100. Uh, That translates to an 809 OPS, uh, the the slash line looks good, so he's he's contributing on an offensive level, right? But what really has stood out to me is we were not sure whether he we knew he would be a, a good shortstop, right? Because he was a, a plus defender at second base, he was excellent at second base, but not sure how it would look every day, not sure how the arm would look, et cetera, et cetera. And as you've said many times, coming off of years of watching Javi Baez at short, it's a it's a tough, you know, tough shoes to replace, right? Or tough cleats in this case. But he looks great, man. Like, and I don't expect him to put up a 133 WRC plus for the whole season, but he's hitting the ball with some authority, some really hard line drives to the gaps, and he looks great at shortstop. So it's, it's he you does. know, he's only played in 15 games, so we don't want to get carried away, just like some of the guys who are struggling, right? Like it's, it's so early in this season. But the early return, if the simple question was, can Nico Horner be the everyday shortstop of this team? As we sit here on April 24th, right, the answer would be a resounding yes. Absolutely. So his projected numbers for the rest of the season by Zips in just 305 plate appearances is an additional 1.6 war. You add that to his current war, and that would finalize at 2.2 war in 355 plate appearances. You scale that up to what he's currently on pace for. He is realistically within the, the, the normal range of a three-plus war shortstop, Corey, on the Cubs. He's not going to be a free agent until 2026. This is a huge development, and it is early. It's only 50 plate appearances, and there are some 
aspects to his game that he does need to continue to improve upon. And one of the biggest features he needs to improve upon is that discipline. So his chase rate is in the bottom 10th percentile of the league. He's swinging at pitches outside the zone, similar to what we've seen from Javi Baez in years past at that 40% rate. So that's where I'm looking at Nico to improve. But the quality of contact we've seen from him is exceptional. So if we look at that type of quality of contact, his expected uh, batting average, Corey, is in the 96th percentile. That is absurd. And then his expected weighted on base average, 65th percentile. So the run value he's produced this year, which is at a 359 WOBA rate, is no fluke whatsoever because the type of contact is hard. It is going in the gaps. He does have two expected home runs on the year. You might remember in Coors Field, he hit a ball well above Chris Bryant's head in left field at Wrigley. That's a home run. So the power already in the early going here is greater than last year. And the type of line drives, the the quality of the contact has increased as well. And the defense has performed way better than most people's expectations. And honestly, I would say even my expectations too. The fact that currently in the small sample, his defense rates better than 97% of shortstops is insane, Corey. That is that is beyond even what the front office projected from Nico. And when you hear Jed talk about his arm strength having been improved in the offseason, it is clear Nico is, is physically maturing and growing into his own. And at this point, if the type of quality contact remains, that war projection of three-ish by zips, you know how valuable that is, Corey? Like people on the market pay like twenty to twenty-five million dollars for that type of shortstop. And he's on the Cubs through twenty twenty-six. This is perhaps the most important development of the year so far. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where obviously you and I and basically everybody else that watches and talks about this team spent a lot of time talking about other shortstops and the the Cubs you know, maybe made offers, maybe didn't, and and this is how things ended up. But, you know, this is kind of along the lines of when we're talking about some of these other guys and, and making sure they're getting opportunities to see what you have. Like, we went into this offseason thinking the Cubs needed a different answer at shortstop and likely a very expensive one. And maybe that's something that gets revisited in this offseason. But if Nico Horner continues to play like this and he provides that answer for you, Again, like yeah, it, it, you, you move that money around, right? You 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 change the, the you change the narrative and say we do not need a shortstop. This guy's going to be our shortstop, and then we look around the rest of the diamond and say, here's this money that you know Tom is giving us, and here's where we're going to spend it because this is fine. Yeah. We're good with this, right? Exactly. And again, it's early. He needs to keep up this hitting at the plate, but he looks really good at the plate, and he looks really good in the field. And I, I, I think I like, you know, what David Ross has done with him in terms of leaving him at the bottom of the order. We've seen this in the past, not just from David Ross, but from Joe Madden at times as well, where you, you, you put a guy at the bottom of the order, one, so that you have that contact at the end of the order, and then it kind of rolls over to the top in front of the, you know, the guys that do the big damage. But also, like, you know, we, we've seen it with Wisdom as well until he got going. Like, go to the bottom of the order, focus on hitting. You know, you're you're not going to be in those big spots in the middle of the order where the team is relying on you to drive in all the runs. 
just focus on your approach, focus on your matchups, and get the job done. And Nico Horner has done that yeah. uh, really well. So last thing I just want to point out before you preview this series, we touched on it a little bit in our uh, last series review uh, when we were talking about that Rays series. I just want to keep highlighting this because it is important, and it hasn't like necessarily jumped out, uh, but I do just want to keep noting this. Like Ian Happ is having a really good season. Uh, at the plate. He had his first homer on Sunday, uh, but the numbers he's put up so far this season, slash line, 333 average, 439 on base, 458 slugging. So you want to see more power from him, but that's good for a 402 Woba and a 161 WRC+. So we talked about before, like if he can look like that player we saw in the second half to go along with, say, a Suzuki, Again, if we're talking about finding solutions to things long-term, like if you can feel confident that he can do this at the plate, you can fill in a couple of those outfield spots for a little longer and, and you feel a lot better. I just want to make sure we're giving half the proper credit. Yeah, yeah, uh, course, you know, it was a struggle in the first half last year, but he put it together at the end. And I know a lot of people, you know, were kind of like, well, the team's out of it. They sold off all the teams. So it's nice of you to start hitting now. And so, you know, just want to make sure we're giving him the credit as this season starts. He's been really good at the plate. Yes. Okay. So previewing this upcoming series against the Braves, we have a three-game set. Off day on Monday when you're listening to this. On Tuesday, first game starts at 6.20 p.m. Central. We have Marcus Stroman on the mound. They see Max Freed for the Braves. Freed on the year is 1-2 and two with a 3.5 ERA. Marcus is 0-2 and an 8.78 ERA. On Wednesday, same start time, 6.20 p.m. Central, we have Leiter Jr. on the mound for the Cubs, Charlie Morton for the Braves, Morton 1-2 with a 6.32 ERA. Uh, Leiter is uh, 0-1 with 11.05 ERA. On Thursday, to finish off a three-game set, Drew Smiley takes the mound, 1-1, 2.45 ERA. Facing right for the Braves, who is 2-0 with a 1.06 ERA, 6.20 p.m. start time. Atlanta off to a slow start, 7-10, the Cubs 7-9, three games back in the division. I think it's pretty obvious what we're looking for on the first game, Stroman settling in, rough two starts in bad conditions, granted, but you want to see him settle down, maybe go through six innings. That would be really nice to see. And then from my perspective, getting Rivas in more, don't go back to Iowa. Please stay up, get some more playing time, maybe dialing in on him playing left field if you still want to give Frank those opportunities, Corey. Yeah, I mean, look, this is, uh, so Atlanta's not had the start to the season that they want, uh, maybe a little bit of that World Series hangover, if you will, if that's a, a real thing, they're 7-10, they're and 10. Um, but they're a good team, it's a very good roster, and you know, you're going to get a look at uh, Max Fried in that game, he's a very good pitcher, um, and you know, this is where I think you're really going to see what this team is made of, right? The schedule to this point, obviously the Rays are a tough team, but you had that at home. You've only had the Brewers at home so far, and we're heading into a stretch now where you're kind of going to see what this team is made of, at least in the early going here, because you're going to play some good teams and you've got to do it on the road. So it's going to be interesting, Brendan, like that, that's kind of why we start this podcast being frustrated about losing three or four to the Pirates, right? Because as as I've said, you don't want to have the attitude of you know, believing that you can just snap your fingers and say, oh, it's the Pirates, you're at home, go win the series or sweep them, because we know it's not that easy. 
But the reason you kind of put the pressure on those games is because now you're entering into a portion of the season where things are going to get a lot harder, right? Some of the mistakes we've seen this team made, they're not going to play right? The inability to score more than three runs in three of these four games, right? Not going to get it done when you start playing some of these better teams. So they're going to have to clean some things up and they're going to have to be up to the task now of going on the road and, and playing good teams and, and showing what they're really made of. So I, I'm just looking for them to, to win games, find a way to win games, um, continue with that, you know, contact heavy, cut down the strikeouts approach at the plate, uh, get some better pitching performances. And again, like we've talked about, continue learning about some of these guys, right? Because a lot of what we've been learning from some of these guys has been really good to start this season. So just looking to uh, win games, Brendan. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty simple thing, but you lose three or four to the Pirates at home, and that's really all anybody's asking. I don't care how they win on Tuesday, just try to get a W, right? Um, so that's, I think, what we have for you here today. Uh, again, check out uh, Luke, Cody, and Ryan should be there on the show on Monday, and then they will have pre- and post-game for you to start that series with the Braves on Tuesday, so be sure to check that out uh, in the podcast feed or on YouTube. And continue to support all that we are doing. Uh, Again, a reminder at CHGO podcasts, live shows, post games, and premium written content over at allchgo.com. You get a free shirt and access to the members-only Discord when you sign up to become a member at allchgo.com. As always, we appreciate you guys tuning in to the CHGO Cubs podcast. We will talk to you again after the Cubs finish up with the Braves later this week. And as always, go Cubs.